wilderness tanka. Snowy wilderness, cold winter sun, soaring trees, a small lone figure. For a time she stood fearless, my protector, my mother. Elizabeth Gaffro, from her book of poetry, Grief Songs, Poems of Love and Remembrance. Welcome to Tea, Toast, and Trivia. I am your host, Rebecca Budd. Thank you for listening in. I am delighted that my dear friend, writer, and poet, Elizabeth Gaffro, and I have come together to discuss her book of poetry, Grief Songs, Poems of Love and Remembrance. I am equally thrilled that her daughter, Sonia Elwood, has joined the conversation to share her insights gained from her creative journey. Sonia is an avid reader who enjoys various types of writing as long as it is compelling and either provides an escape or invokes an emotional response. In her 18 years of experience as a training specialist, Sonia presents new materials to help learners understand new concepts. We are bringing together New Hampshire, California, and British Columbia to consider how storytelling through poetic words offers a way to express grief and celebrate memories of loved ones who have gone on before us. I invite you to put the kettle on and add to this conversation on tea, toast, and trivia. Welcome, Liz, and welcome, Sonia. I have been looking forward to this discussion for a very long time. Thank you, Rebecca. So have I. I am happy to be here as well. Thank you for having me. Liz, a few months ago, you introduced me to the ancient art and form of poetry called tanka. In a few words, emotions, memories, and intentions come together. You are a fiction writer by training. How did you come to release a book of Tanka poetry? And why did Tanka seem the most appropriate form to honor grief? Your question brings to mind T.S. Eliot's concept of the objective correlative which I have been very much drawn to ever since I first read his essay, Criticizing Hamlet. He defines the objective correlative as, quote, a set of objects, a situation, a chain of events, which shall be the formula of that particular emotion. So what he's saying is, in order to evoke an emotion that the poet feels, it's tied to a particular image. And if you get just the right image, just the right sound of the words, then that is going to evoke a similar emotion in the reader. That's an idea that I've just always been drawn to. And I think the best example that I can think of from his own poetry is from the love song of J. Alfred Prufrock. This objective correlative pretty much makes you just want to sit down and cry. Quote, I have seen the eternal footman hold my coat and snicker. Related to that, 
idea of the objective correlative. The idea, which I've also believed for a really long time, is that with creative expression, there's a particular form that's appropriate for whatever it is you want to express. And of course, people who are conversant in multiple media, including painting, music, sculpture, writing, they have it all. For writers, we still have a very wide range of creative expression that we can use for expressing a particular emotion or expressing a particular experience. And with grief songs, I just learned what Tanka was with what I had inside me that I needed to express, Tanka was the appropriate form. Narrative poetry wasn't, short story wasn't, certainly not a novel, but Tanka was the right form to be able to achieve that objective correlative that I was after. Grief is not only after passing. It happens before passing, doesn't it? The grief of knowing that the end is near, and you already start to grieve. Yes, absolutely. And that's what I found happening with my mother's final illness, which happened quite quickly. She had a recurrence of lymphoma after being given a clean bill of health only a few months before seeing what was happening to her physically in the hospital and seeing what that also was doing to her emotionally was very, very difficult. I could see it happening and it broke my heart. When that starts happening, you want to grieve the person that you're losing, but at the same time, you know you have to accept the person that she is now because that's what she needed from me, was not grieve who my mother was before, you know, when she was my protector, but who she was during those moments, which finally led to her death. That's what she needed from me, to accept her as she was. And for me, it was a little bit different because I'm coming from across the country and having not visiting as much as I would have liked. And you always have a little bit of regret wanting to visit more, wanting to be there more, more phone calls, those sorts of things. But you have to reach a point of acceptance, realizing what you have the ability to control. And what I found to comfort me in that time was trying to be there for my mother as she was grieving her mother. And that provided me an outlet to accept and acknowledge what was happening without physically being there. What did you think of grief songs? I know you probably had a favorite poem. You've read it with your mom. Yes. It was interesting going into something that's called grief songs. You're not really sure of what to expect. You have some preconceived notions probably. But I found a really good balance between the concept of loss and that you don't have this person in your life anymore, 
but also the little moments, the little things that you remember, and those are things that you hold on to. Um, and I found that to be more positive in reading it than I anticipated. And I found it to be very powerful that way. Sonia, why do you believe grieving is necessary? It is a universal emotion that must be acknowledged, and yet we try to get through the sadness as quickly as possible. Is that the way to approach grieving? Grieving is painful. I think we feel that loss, and we're just trying to escape it and get through it as fast as possible. But we really need to stop and accept and reflect that it's okay to be sad. Don't feel like you always have to put on a brave face. It's always interesting to me when you hear people say that everyone grieves differently, but then on the side, they're judging them for doing it a certain way. There's an expectation in how you're supposed to grieve. But really, people do grieve differently, and it's okay because it depends on who they are, their life experiences, what they've been exposed to, and their relationship with the person that they're grieving. And I think we just need to acknowledge and be okay with the fact that you're vulnerable and that you may need to take time as much as needed to to process that grief. What is acceptance? Acceptance is the ability to acknowledge the role that the person played in your life, that they're no longer physically here, but it is someone that you're always going to remember, keep close to you. I think the acceptance is not to forget and to allow others to know them. I know that sounds strange, but some of the things that came out of, for example, reading Grief Song was I found myself stopping and bringing my husband into the conversation. My husband never knew my grandfather and had one visit with my grandmother. He didn't really know them, but he knows who I am today. What was interesting, there's a photo that goes along with one of the poems of my grandfather, and it has the crooked smile. My husband said, that looks a lot like you sometimes. I started talking about things that my grandfather and I had in common some of the times that we shared together, but that all came through acceptance and acceptance of who I am because of the time I spent with my grandfather and acceptance and being able to still talk about it, even though it's been years, just the acceptance of, of having that person have been in my life at some point. That is very well said. We grieve lost opportunities, the ending of a personal dream or relationship, and most difficult of all, the loss of loved one through death. How can we use storytelling to help us through the process of grieving? Storytelling is a powerful way to really keep that person's memory alive and demonstrating why they were an important person in your life. I think we have a tendency to really focus on the what could have been, or as you mentioned, kind of those missed opportunities. But really, if you share the interactions you have with the person, the impact they've had on your life, and it doesn't need to be tales of grandeur or elaborate stories. I take a lot of comfort in little moments 
and looking at how did I feel in that moment, the fun energy that I spent with that person and the time that I had with them, how they made me laugh. Because when you're actually telling the story, you'll find yourself smiling and you'll find yourself almost reliving and enjoying that moment again. At least that's how I feel when I'm when I'm talking and telling stories about people that are no longer with us. I agree. And stories about bringing her husband into her experience of grief songs was very moving. She hadn't told me that before. So thank you for asking the question, Rebecca. But I think what also makes it particularly meaningful for me is that my father and my brother were the best storytellers in the world. My brother in particular was hilarious. I mean, he had the delivery and he could play with language in a way that was just delightful. It's natural to say, I want to bring his stories to other people and to celebrate them in that way with story because that's who they were. And my mother was pretty much the exact opposite because she had quite a repressed upbringing. But in the time that I spent with her in the last couple of years before her death, I would go to her place. We'd have tea and Lorna Dune cookies. And the stories ended up coming out. It was a very special time. And I'm so glad that I got to hear those stories just because the two of us were alone and having tea and just absolutely, completely relaxed in each other's company. That was a gift to you, wasn't it? Oh, it was. It was. One thing that was interesting to me was I always saw my grandmother as a very composed person. And as my mom said, very direct, not necessarily telling tales and things of that nature. But in the later years, to my mom's point, I would join my mother with my grandmother in her place. And there was a side to my grandmother that I had not seen. And I don't know if it's because later in life she was not feeling as much on guard and was more open. But some of these stories and the way that she would deliver them, I found a sense of humor about her that I hadn't necessarily seen as much before. And it was just it was just nice to see a nice pleasant way to have some final memories of her. Photography has the power to stop time, to crystallize moments. Liz, you have precious memories that explore your personal history from the beginning of your life when father and mother hold you in their arms to your first sacrament and then confirmation and baptism and to the deep bond with your brother. How did turning to family photograph albums help you bring out your lines of poetry? That's an interesting question because I went through the same, you could almost call it a ritual. I mean, I think that that is what people do when the family all gathers together. They bring out the photograph albums and start reminiscing and it helps. It helps their grief to be able to do that. So 
I went through the same thing with my dad, who died in 2000, and my brother, who died in 2017. But the difference with my mother was that I had a container, which was Tanka, that I didn't have with the other two losses. As I was going through these photographs, the lines kept coming. The lines just kept coming. That really was the difference. I didn't have that tank of form. That was the form that I needed to be able to express what those photographs were telling me. Could you explain what tanka is? It's a variation on an ancient Japanese poetry form, which to me also raises questions in itself because Japanese is a totally different language from English. The way they write poetry, inflection, sounds, all of it, completely different. So in a way, it's really hard to translate that if you're saying, well, I want to exactly follow this form. As I did some research on it, just to find out a little bit more, there are a number of different ways that poets are breaking with how English-speaking poets originally interpreted tanka, which was five lines with five, seven, five, seven, seven syllable count. I stayed with the traditional American interpretation, even though I don't think it probably is even equivalent to the Japanese. It's just such a different language. But for me, needing to meet that syllable count did two things. The first thing was that caused me to really focus on the individual word, the individual line. That helped me find those objective correlatives. So from an artistic point, and then from an emotional point, focusing at the word level and the line level took so much concentration, it really helped just to be able to cope with what I was going through. And I guess the other thing that I would add to that, which I think is common to writers, is that if we just find the right words, we can control our world. And that is the writing impulse. And then, of course, we never can. But we think with this poem or with this story, just find the right words, the perfect words, then I can control my world. Sonia, how does your mother's life story connect with yours? Where does your family's history evolve and carry the stories of your grandparents? My mom's life story is pretty different than my own. We took different paths and directions in life. However, in sitting and reflecting and realizing as I get older, I find more similarities in the people that we are and the traits and things that we share. We both have a tendency to get lost in what we're doing, have a tendency to probably work too hard and too much. I think we also have a hard time settling and enjoying moments sometimes. But once we actually give into it, we find great pleasure in just these little moments and being able to be together in a way that allows us to celebrate more of the things we have in common than things that we have different. 
I spent a lot of summers with my grandparents and my grandfather. He would have his time in his office, working on his sermons, doing what he needed to do. But he always made sure that he and I spent quality time together playing cribbage and just little things. And so when I visit my parents and my mom and I have alone time together, when we go out and it's the two of us and we're doing a drive through the countryside, we're joking, we're having a good time. All the things that make us different go away and we celebrate who we are as mother-daughter. And that's what I see through the relationship that my mom had with her parents. There were things that she had in common with them and things that she maybe tended to lean towards one versus the other as far as traits and personalities. But it's a matter of celebrating that they're family and they'll always be family, even with the loss that they're not with us anymore. They're always part of us and they'll always be who we are going forward. The two of you have fun together, don't you? Yeah, we do have a lot of fun together. I have no spatial intelligence. So if I get in the car, we have to go somewhere that I've never been before. I can't find it. I can't read directions. The GPS doesn't do so well for me. And so I always told Sonia when she was little, no, we're not lost. We're just having an adventure. Even as a six-year-old, she never believed me. Listen, Sonia, would you do me the honor of reading a poem from Grief Songs? So I chose Time Machine. Silly school project. Cardboard box. Green poster paint. George's time machine. Trips through time at his command. If only he had kept it. I picked that one because it spoke to me from a perspective of fantasy meeting real life. So the concept that you can escape, go into this time machine, have a little adventure, but also the reality that he didn't keep it and the concept of maybe potentially losing some of that adventure went away with it. I don't know why, but it just spoke to me. I'd like to read Portsmouth Head Autumnal. It was the poem that I read at my mother's graveside service. Portsmouth Head Autumnal. Gray waters roiling under a loud sky. Childhood waves, bright blue. Gold autumnal perspective. A pink rose blooms still open. Thank you for sharing these words of poetry. As we close the conversation, is there any last words? What I've noticed in the last couple of years, which I think is a really positive development, both the internet and self-publishing opportunities have given people a way to introduce lost loved ones to others, keep their memories alive. For example, there are a lot of books now on World War II and the experiences of people's, mostly parents, who went through World War II. It just is so gratifying to think that 
these people who live will continue to live because the digital medium allows for that. Every time I read one of these, I say, look what you've done. <laughs> look what you have done. Um, for example, I recently finished a book called Leora's The Depression Stories. And before that was Leora's Letters. It's about a woman in Iowa who was just a regular farm wife. She lost three of her five sons in World War II. They also had a really rough time getting through the Depression. Her granddaughter has written both these books, and I feel that I know Leora. What wonderful thing for Joy, her name is Joy, to do for us, to introduce us to this just remarkable woman. Because I think that's one of the things that we most fear when we lose someone. We don't want that person to be forgotten. And along those same lines, I think it's really important to find an outlet to tell stories whether it's through written word. I know that there's a lot of short film technology that people do as well to kind of artistic and show different ways that they're remembering moments for people or even just sitting around drinking coffee and talking about loved ones of the past. I think that allows us to stay connected to those people, but also allow new people, as my mom mentioned, to have new people find connections to people that they haven't known because we learn how to grow as a society based on previous experiences that we've all gone through. There are things that people have gone through that I have not, but I learned through it by hearing these stories of people that have lived before us. And that gives me a sense of either pride or acknowledgement. That's an impact. Maybe I need to rethink some things that I'm doing as I approach the rest of my life. Having that outlet and that way to tell those stories is really important and not to lose sight of that. Thank you, Liz and Sonia, for sharing your profound thoughts on how grieving is a way to honor those who have gone before. And for the reminder that celebrating the love we have received will sustain us and give courage to live with joy and expectation as we move forward in our timeline. Listeners, thank you for joining Liz, Sonia, and me on Tea, Toast, and Trivia. Grief is a deeply personal experience, yet it is an experience all of us have in common. Perhaps Winnie the Pooh says it best. How lucky I am to have something that makes saying goodbye so hard. You can meet up with Liz on her website, lizgafro.com on Amazon and Goodreads. You are only an internet click away from a place where stories dwell. Until next time we meet, dear friends, keep safe and be well. <laughs>